He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. And joining me in the middle is uh, Doug DePiero. Good morning. Close friend, uh, advisor, and... um, and uh, my, my social media creator, <laughs> uh, he wants me just to call him his creator. No, creative. creative. You're okay. creative. Not my Like creator. in advertising, that's the creative Winston guy. Churchill once described creator. a guy Creator. I'm going to make a bobble toy out of you. <laughs> Winston Churchill once described the guy as a self-made man who worships his creator. <laughs> <laughs> that's so messed up. That's so not me. All right, go. So... I'm stuck with the question about the grand jury and about Trump and about uh, Bragg and the whole bit of when will they ever learn? When will they ever <laughs> learn? When will they ever learn? When will they ever learn that when you indict Donald Trump or you attack him this way or you come after him on a legal technicality, that it's not going to hurt him, it's going to empower him. What doesn't It'll tell him makes him stronger. Yeah, that's true. And it makes him stronger because, first of all, the voters realize the inanity of the indictment. Inanity. Uh, because they realize the context of it and the substance of it is just, is just well, the better word is BS. <laughs> <laughs> is that but, what inanity yeah, means? In no. Yeah. Let me get my and, thesaurus out. And the, um, and the, and the point is that they'll always They'll look at the charge, and some people are going to say, establishment types will say, oh, he's been indicted, oh, he's yeah, been arrested, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. oh, he's been in prison, we can't vote for him. But voters will look at the substance of it, and they'll say, this is all bullshit, to quote our president. Yeah. I and, love that he talks like that yeah. sometimes. It makes him real. And then and then he, it's, and it's, it's so clear that it's absolutely nonsense. And that's why... Nobody said, oh, he's been impeached, we can't vote for him. Oh, he's been impeached twice, we can't vote for right. him. Because they know the substance of the impeachment was crazy, it was stupid, it was right. bullshit. Yeah. And that it was unproven, and even if it were proven, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, now it's the same thing. Who gives a damn? Who gives a damn if the payments to Stormy Daniels were listed as campaign spending or as business spending, who cares? And uh, and the and the the point is that nobody cares about that. And right. when you indict somebody over that, you're you're indicting him on stuff that's totally picky. Uh, who cares if the head of Donald Trump's operation uh, took personal uh, money from the corporation and used it for personal expenses? Who cares? Uh, who cares that Donald Trump was a little late in returning all of the archives to the archives? Right. It's a museum, for God's sakes. Stuff stays there for centuries. And if it took a few, and a few days late, nobody's going to matter. And we're not talking about the original Declaration of Independence <laughs> on parchment. Yeah. We're talking about some notes and some memos and some calendar items. Right, right. And uh, if, if Trump disclosed what he had and left some stuff off because he forgot... Who cares? Now, if the stuff he left off relates to something very particular 
about national security or about dealing with foreign countries, okay, we care. Right. But short of that, we don't care. And stop wasting our time with this stuff. Stop taking a country that's experiencing 7 and 8% inflation a year, that's experiencing millions coming in over the border every month, that's in the middle of a huge crime wave, and stop telling us about archives and about Stormy Daniels. And that's the reaction that people have to it. And Trump really encapsulated that beautifully in his speech at Way- in Waco, Texas. That was great. Uh, where he basically called it the weaponization of the judicial system, the weaponization of the law, taking a law and making it into a weapon that you can use to defeat a political candidate or discredit a public official. And uh, that is what the Democrats are doing. And the interesting thing about that speech in Texas is it the first time he was really able to make that argument and make it stick in a really convincing way. And uh, the Democrats have done it for him. Yes, they have. Because of the nature of what they're talking about and how they're talking about it. Uh, he doesn't have to say that. They've made it clear. And they don't care. Their attitude is it's a technical violation of law. Will it stop people from voting for him? Probably not. Will it make it impossible for him to run? No. There's nothing in it that even if he goes to jail, he can run. Uh, will it have any effect in the election? No. So why are you doing it? Well, because the law says we should do it. And we think, and also I'm an elected district attorney elected by the people of Manhattan. And if I don't indict him, I'm never going to get elected dog catcher again. And, uh, and the judge who will rule on the change of venue to get it moved out of New York doesn't want to be ostracized in New York for his whole life. Uh, because he's the one that permitted the Trump case to be moved. Right, like Dershowitz was saying in the last show. Yeah, Dershowitz said it right. He said, when yeah. I said that I, uh, that I, when I defended Trump, because I felt he was entitled to a defense, as everybody is, uh, friends came over to me and said, I actually quoted Larry Davis from, uh, right. Curb Your Enthusiasm. He said, this guy's been one of my best friends. He's stayed at my house, yeah. works out at my gym. Uh, and, uh, and he said, I can have nothing further to do with you because you represented Donald Trump. You an, an enabler. Yeah, you, you enable him. Imagine that. That's and disgusting. So everybody is subject to these social pressures, and they're all towing the line that Donald Trump is terrible, and he should be indicted, he should be convicted, he should be tortured, he should be uh. imprisoned. imprisoned. Uh. If we could do the death penalty for him, we'd do it. And uh, people are understanding that this is just weaponizing the justice system in a way that was never meant to be. Because now they're seeing it. They're seeing it's tangible now. They can see that. Uh, just like uh, the last show also, she said that Bragg lets people go with a, a Uzi if he didn't shoot it. That That's okay. Don't worry about that. Let him go. But Donald Trump, you know. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and we're all seeing that. And the effect of that is to strip the ability of incriminating Trump through the judicial system of its credibility. Weaponizing, as you say. and and But it, it makes it impossible for them to do it because they've cried wolf so much. Right. They've done this so often, and we understand that this is just baloney. 
Right. Doesn't mean anything anymore. So Trump is the only guy in the world who basically can do all this stuff scot-free <laughs> because they've cried wolf a million times. And uh, and now they're just doing it again. It's the same as using the racist card. You know, oh, you're a racist, right? When you have an argue with them, they call you that. That used to bother me so much years ago if someone ever said that to me. Now it doesn't bother me anymore because it doesn't mean anything. If you keep saying it, you water it down. Yeah. And when you were younger, you could beat the hell out of them. <laughs> but I wouldn't. <laughs> I was a nice guy. Yeah, I really was. You were wonderful. I was. So um, I don't think this is going anywhere. And uh, I think that when the grand, when the grand jury comes back tomorrow, um, what are they going to do? Are they going to proceed with the indictment? Or what do you not? think? What do you think? The grand jury will do whatever the DA tells them to do. So Bragg will tell them. <laughs> the case became unstuck this week when uh, Costello, uh, Trump's former lawyer, and Michael Cohn's former lawyer, uh, came back and said Cohn is a lying idiot, <laughs> and he said, "quote." He won't tell the truth even if you put a gun to his head. And uh, once he said that, it was very hard for Bragg to make the case that, that Cohn was a credible witness. Did they have him come back in, Cohn? I no, think they, they wanted didn't. to, right? They want, well, they say they wanted to. Right. But the, to, um, to my knowledge, they didn't because uh -huh. he couldn't rehab him, himself. Right. There's nothing he could say to do that. So it is vaguely possible, not likely, but vaguely possible that the grand jury goes rogue and uh, decides not to indict Trump, even if Bragg urges them to. But that happens once every five million years. So the odds of that happening are very slight. What will probably happen is they will indict him. Ugh. Then there'll be a move to change venue, meaning to not try it in Manhattan. Manhattan is and Washington, D.C. are the two islands, one literally, the other figuratively, of the Democratic Party, 70, I'm sorry, 88%, 87.8% of the vote in New York City, New York County, Manhattan, not the city, just Manhattan, went for Biden against Trump. How many, what percent? 88%. <laughs> and that's the same percentage as in Washington, D.C., 88%. And to pretend you can get a fair trial in Manhattan is absurd. But no judge is going to agree to change venue because he'll never be able to run for anything. He'll be vilified politically. Excuse me. Can I ask you a question? Does it have, if they change venue, does it have to be in New York State or can it go yes. out of state? No. It has to be in New York State. But you could put it in uh, Westchester. That's not, not great. Not even either. Westchester. You could put it in uh, Plattsburgh and oh. he'd get a fair trial. You're right. Buffalo. Yeah. Well, not an urban area, but yeah, but I mean, right, it doesn't it. have to be an area that's 88% Democrat. But you're saying a judge will be. No us, judge us, is going to do us. that. And then it goes before a jury, and the jury is going to vote guilty because they're all mm. Manhattan Democrat liberals. Mm -hmm. Will the judge set aside the verdict because it's so contrary to the law? Probably not. A judge could do that? Yeah, it's called JNOV. Wow. Judgment uh, despite the verdict. Wow. Uh, probably won't do it. Will an appellate court then throw it out? Yeah. If the appellate court won't because it's a New York State court, they'll appeal it to the federal court. And the federal court, it's outside of the New York area. It's no longer controlled by that. And uh, and they'll definitely throw it out. Interesting. No way it'll survive. So basically, when stuff. you get down to it, this guy is not going to jail. Born through a party in the county jail. The prison band was there, they were 
That's well, right. It would be nice, but you see Donald dancing to that music, but it's not going to happen. This uh, is great information. To, God knows how really much, good. how many steps we have to go through. Right. Is he going to be indicted? Probably. Is he, is the judge going to allow the indictment? Definitely. Uh, will the judge agree to move the venue? Probably mm. not. Will the uh, jury vote guilty? Probably yes. Will they sentence Trump to prison? Probably yes. Will they, will he ever enter prison? Probably no. Good. Then will it go up on appeal? Yes. Will the verdict on appeal be thrown out? No, in state court. Then will the Trump people appeal it to a federal court on a civil rights act? Yes. And will the federal court then throw out the the conviction? Yes. So that's the way this thing plays out. And the question we have to consider is what percentage of our time is going to be, going to be consumed by this? Ah. Look back at Monica Lewinsky. Nothing happened in the government in 1977 and 1978. I was there. Nothing went on. That was Jimmy Carter, 77. No, not 70. 97 and 98. Right. Uh, 97, 98. Yeah. Because everybody was focused on uh, the Monica Lewinsky affair and would would Bill Clinton be impeached. Right. And that's all everyone talked about. In the meantime, the world was happening, okay? There was a guy named Osama bin Laden yep. who was in the mountains in Afghanistan. And nobody much knew who he was. The public sure didn't. But um, I learned about him. And you and O'Reilly and, were talking about him. And the, I remember that. And the, the intelligence people gave Clinton the option of taking of killing him with an airstrike. And Clinton said, Well, I'm I'm on the griddle now for uh for um That's one thing. killing for ancillary damage in these attacks, civilian casualties. And Monica Lewinsky is gonna show up and testify before a grand jury tomorrow. And then I'm gonna have to testify. And I don't need everybody to be saying I'm wagging the dog, which was the movie back then. Sure. That you were about you quite a bit. Which means I'm, yeah, it was actually, which means that I'm trying to nullify the effect of this negative on me by calling attention to a foreign war. And I don't want that to happen. So no, I'm not going to allow the airstrike. And the intel, the intel people said this was the best shot we ever had to kill him. We knew he was there. We could have taken him out. There wasn't much civilian casualties. And it turned out he was there and we could have killed him. And that was the last chance we had until he, until after 9-11. So that's the consequence of this country completely losing its mind and losing its chain of attention and not paying attention to what's going on. Now, back then, the Republican Party was at fault. Now, the Democratic Party is at fault. But when will we decide to prioritize important things and relegate the minor things to giving it less attention? Now, we're about to be in the middle of a presidential campaign. And nobody's going to look seriously at the merits of the candidates. Nobody's going to scrutinize Ron DeSantis or Pompeo or any of those guys, which is fine with me. And they'll basically have all vote for or against Trump based on whether they think he's being treated fairly or not. And they'll all say, no, he's not being treated fairly. It guarantees Trump a win in right. the primary, I think. 
uh, because it, it makes you, DeSantis has no place to stand. Do you think Trump is guilty? Uh, yes or no. Uh, if you think he is, then obviously he shouldn't be nominated. If you think he's not, you can't then say, no, he's not guilty, he's innocent, he's being framed, right, right. but vote for me against him. So this will overcome the discussion of who the candidate should be. In the meantime, probably, there may be a Democratic primary, a challenge to Biden, or Biden might not run again. And then we go into the general election, and are we still going to be talking about this? Will we will completely overshadow everything, even though the course of events is predictable? I just told you about them. I'm sure I'm not wrong. And uh, we just have to resolve in our national interest not to be so totally distracted by everything. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Let's go to Michael on the Upper East Side. Hi, Michael. Hey, Dick. First time I'm calling you, I've listened to you forever. Good. Um, my question is, you're a close confidant of... Uh, of uh, Donald Trump. Yep. I wish you the power to tell him, please, Donald, you got a lot of loyal people, but you're losing them slowly but surely because of these stunts with things like the bat. Okay. That, that's I, why I said take your call, Michael, because you mentioned the bat. Um, I spent a good deal of time on the phone with him Talking about yesterday, that. talking about that photo in the New York Post, it is completely doctored. Totally, he never took a bat anywhere near Alvin Bragg. He never was near Alvin Bragg. They took a shot of him holding a bat, having nothing to do with this. Had to do with something. And photoshopped different. it to a photo ne- next to Bragg, right. and implied that he was going to beat up Bat Bragg with a bat. And then he took the Trump's quote where he said that if they indict me when there is no proof and there is no evidence and there's no grounds for the indictment, all hell is going to break loose in New York, and it could lead to death and destruction uh, because people will be outraged at this, that they're doing this. And why would he, why would Greg risk death and destruction on the city by proceeding with this indictment when it's completely groundless? So the New York Post, which is run by Rupert Murdoch, which will stop at nothing to destroy Donald Trump, right. published that picture and said Trump is threatening death and destruction, the implication being that he would kill Bragg or hit him over the head with a baseball bat. And it was totally untrue. It was completely fabricated. It was absolutely baloney. Totally baloney. The Trump people were considering rebutting it and talking about that. But then we checked and no other newspaper in the country picked it up. Nobody else ran it because they realized it it was a doctored photo. And he was going to his rally to give a speech, gave a very good speech, didn't allude to it, didn't talk about it. 
and uh, and we decided not to call attention back to it. Yep. But don't be deceived. Nothing like this ever happened. And Trump is not losing his supporters slowly but surely. He's gaining his supporters slowly but surely. In January, he was seven points behind DeSantis, ahead of DeSantis in a two-way. Uh, in, Jan- in February, he was 18 points ahead, and now he's 30 points ahead. That's moving in the other direction. Uh, he's gaining supporters each day, not losing them. And in his head-to-head against Biden, he went from four ahead to five ahead to six ahead. And that's that's pretty damn good. Right. So I, I just wanted to deliver that answer definitively to you. Let's go to my friend Judith in Brooklyn. Hi, Hi. Judith. Hey, hi, guys. Thanks for taking a call. Listen, i got two things to say, Dick. I hope you let me say it. Number one, Alvin Braggs has nothing what to brag about, okay? <laughs> he should be, yeah, he should be disbarred. He is a shameless crime inviter, rogue DA, Soros-funded whatever. That's one. Two, more importantly, think about this. All these hoaxes, let's get you back to the hoaxes from before and then now. The fake Hillary dossier, a hoax, lies, Mueller investigation, 40, 50 million, went nowhere. Two impeachments went nowhere. All this costs money. Now you've got these trumped-up charges, these new hoaxes that they're creating. Why? They want to distract from the real things, from Biden's failures, Dick. And it's costing millions of dollars, like millions of All this energy, all this money, this could be spent on homeless vets, put them up in hotels, not the illegals or military yeah. there's so much going on well, i you, cannot believe you're completely right in everything you said judith and you said it very well uh it's absolutely true and uh disgusting and disgraceful that that's happening and thank you for calling thank you for both of your points thank you i like them both um let's go to uh, aaron in michigan Hi, hi, Dick. Uh, did you see the portrait that was painted? And also, I wondered yeah. if, if you saw uh, uh, Matt Gates uh, with his new bride. I didn't quite understand. I thought I heard it, but I wasn't sure. Uh, I, I don't recall what you mean about Gates. I heard them mention him a lot, yeah, but I didn't follow it. Uh, the portrait was interesting, and she painted it while he was standing there, but I thought it was a pretty good portrait. Right. The important thing about the rally is that First of all, he completely restated for the nth time his record as president. And it's not boring because everything he cites that he did right, Biden is increasingly doing wrong. So he makes it topical and relevant by talking about how terrible Biden is doing on the stuff he did well. Then he glossed over the 2020 election. He mentioned that it was rigged in passing, and he didn't dwell on it like he shouldn't have. He did not mention he attacked Bragg and he attacked the indictment, but he didn't deal with the facts of it. And he uh, did not incite anybody to do anything. Right. Uh, That was key. And then he followed with the speech of very constructive, positive, far-reaching proposals for change and reform. So it was an absolutely perfect speech. And uh, I just think he did a great job. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Hello, Dick Morris. Hey. So um, I reached into my memory bank, and <laughs> I was helped by Google and um, retrieved a song from the 1960s uh, that had great relevance today. My name is Tom Cranker, and I'm Jolly Banker. I'm Jolly Banker, Jolly Banker, and my 
very few jolly bankers in the world today. <laughs> so I, I'm glad that they were immortalized right, in, in that song. Woody Guthrie song. <laughs> uh, but um, what's going on now is a massive global growth of uh, lack, growth of lack of faith, decline of faith mm-hmm. in the Amer- in the banking system worldwide, and also in currency. Uh, this ultimately can reach the extent, as it has, for example, in Argentina, where nobody trusts currency and nobody trusts banks. So everybody has a stash they hide under their mattress of dollars, and uh, and they get paid in pesos and they quickly convert them to dollars and then they protect the value that moment, uh, but everything in the country is devaluing because of inflation. And then the bank fails anyway, and you lose everything. Um, I believe that the U.S. and the world are headed in that direction. I think it's a matter of time until the lack of faith in the banking system spreads to a point where it can't be reversed. Wow. I think that there is not enough money on earth, even counting the printing presses, to be able to reassure people enough to end these runs. First of all, let's understand that over a period of the last 10 to 20 years, the amount of, the amount of cash in the country has dropped by about 40%. And people are no longer trusting cash. They're using plastic or they're, uh, or they're, uh, using dot uh, com or gold or other things. And it's a matter of time until somebody figures out how to use gold for daily purchases. If on these shows you hear me talk about Patriot Gold, and the price of gold has increased substantially. Now it's almost a few dollars short of $2,000 an ounce, was about 1700 an ounce uh, a month or two ago. And it's going to continue to go up, and somebody will then come up with a credit card where you can deposit gold as your, in your account. And you can, that, that will then be dollarized. And if you buy a Coke for a buck twenty and you write a buck twenty and it's charged on your credit card account, it goes against your gold reserve that then drops by a buck twenty. You deposit money and you withdraw money just like you do in a bank, but you don't have to trust the government. Right. Now some people are using digital currencies to do this. Uh, they're saying we're not going to trust the government so we'll print our own money, and it'll be governed by this algorithm that will assure that it isn't flooded by phony money, and only real people can do it. But that's iffy. Uh, We'll see if they're able to make that stick. But we are now at a point where the only thing that holds people into the banking system and into the economy is the absence of an alternative. And that's a terrible, terrible place to be. You then have a situation where everybody is drowning and the Fed has to decide who they're going to throw life preservers to. Hmm. And the life preservers they're passing out now are all to the top 10 global corporate banks, uh, Chase, uh, Citibank, you know, all Morgan Stanley. And they're all going to get bailout money and their depositors will be guaranteed uh, even if they're over the $250,000 limit. But the 
East Podunk Savings Bank isn't getting anything. The uh, East, the, the North Podunk Savings and Loan Association isn't getting anything. There are 5,280 community banks in the United States. That's down from 4,231. Wow. Uh, one year ago. And the number of community banks in the U.S. is dropping catastrophically each year. And now the Fed is coming along and saying, I'll insure every deposit in Citibank, but none, but not in East Podunk. East Podunk I'll only insure under 250000 So everybody who has money in the East Podunk Bank is withdrawing it and switching it to the chase of the chemical bank. Now, the problem is that East Podunk is very relevant to the economy of East Podunk. And if you want to buy a house or sell a house in East Podunk, you want to go to the East Podunk Bank because they'll finance the sale, they'll finance the mortgage, they'll finance your car loan, they know you, you have community credibility, and they'll put the money there. If you put the same money in Chase or Citibank, the money's going to go to Saudi Arabia or to Global Trade, and you'll never see it again. Mm. And when you come to ask them for a loan, you're a total stranger here. You don't know the banker, and the banker could care less about the needs of your community. <clears throat> they're they're simply in the global community, hmm. and the globalization of the banking system, which is which this is designed to do, is for one purpose only to make us more controllable. The big difference between the American economy and the economy of any other country is that we are not controllable because we have so many different banks. And there isn't a one guy you can sit down with who'll say, I'll take care of it. I'll arrange everything. Because the system is too pluralistic. There are too many local community banks that are responsive to the needs of their community. And uh, these banks are being eliminated. And it is the ultimate goal of the big banks to eliminate the small banks. <clears throat> Eat them, absorb them, uh, merge with them, and eliminate them as competition so that you will have no local banking system, no capacity to borrow money. I mean, the old formulation was you get a job in your community, you make money from the community, you deposit it in the community bank, and when you need a loan, you go to the community bank and you borrow your own money. It's a nice cycle. It's a pretty little cycle. And it's worked beautifully. And then the uh, then when the bank seemed imperiled, FDR jumped in, said, no, don't take your money out. We'll insure it. We'll give you deposit insurance. Mm -hmm. But now Biden, for the first time, has decided to separate the big banks from the small banks and only offer the loan insurance to the big banks. Now, at the moment, that only affects people with more than a quarter of a million bucks in the bank. But the handwriting is clearly on the wall. You're not really going to be protected if you're in a small bank. And people can start pulling their money out of small banks in droves, switching it to big banks. And I'm not sure more than a couple of hundred community banks will survive the Biden administration really? and the current economic crisis. And that will totally change the American economy. It'll make it much more like the European economies. In Germany, you get a small conference room. You don't need a big one. And you give one seat to the consumer advocate, one seat to the labor advocate, one seat to the banking person, 
one seat to the corporate advocate, one seat to the military defense guy, and then one seat to the government. And we all sit down and we play a game of poker and we deal the cards and we set up the system. Can do that in Japan, can do that in uh, Germany, in Russia, they don't even give you a seat at the table. And But you can't do it in the United States. And we're reaching a point now where that will happen. Let me tell you a, cute, a, fun, a neat story. In the, in the early years of this century, uh, the 20, really in 1980 to, to now, uh, to 2020, the economists in Japan at MITI, M-I-T-I, the Ministry of Trade and Information, were speculating on the future of the electronics industry. This was around 1980. And they said, we have unanimously concluded that people will not buy laptop computers. They will not buy computers just for them. The future is big corporations investing in massive mainframe computers. And let's put all of our money into that. And Miti said, if you don't lend for that, we'll punish you. And if you, and if you do lend for that, we'll reward you. And all the U.S. banks were told the same thing by the Fed. They all had the same experts. And they were all, of course, totally wrong. People didn't want mainframe computers. They wanted laptops and palm tops and, and cell phones. And all of them were wrong. And Japan went into a recession it still hasn't recovered from. Uh, the U.S. had a recession from it, but it recovered. And the point is that, that the central planners usually screw up. And the way the U.S. doesn't get killed by that is they were too diverse to be killed ah. by one central banker going wrong with every little person who makes his own decisions. And that system, that fundamental pluralism, is being eroded and destroyed by Biden using this banking crisis as an excuse. Ah, I see. And the real agenda of the banks, if the big banks, is to kill the small banks and use this crisis to do it. Uh, and uh, so far they're doing it very effectively. Nobody's calling them on it. They're talking about more bank regulation and stuff. What's the positive for Joe Biden to do this? That he's doing the, bid, the bidding of the big banks who are funding him, who are the basis of, of his whole campaign. And uh, the big, the small banks tend to be Republican. The big banks tend to be Wall Street, corporate, and Democrat. And that's it's political. And he's, and it's, but it's more than just partisan politics. It's a desire to control the economy. The socialist principle ah. is government control. And unless you can control the banking system, you can't do it. The Federal Reserve Board can only go so far after that community banks take over. And we have to, and the Biden administration wants to control that. They want the monopoly. So, for example, you take the climate change issue. Uh, Biden wants, on, the, the green people want only fund massive construction in urban areas. They want high density, small apartments, piled one on top of the other. So, Nobody drives, so you use mass transit right. to get to work. Mm -hmm. Now, the East Podunk Bank doesn't give a damn about that. They'll fund car loans and mortgages and split-level developments around the country. Mm -hmm. uh, but East Podunk. There's no uh, such thing as Podunk, right? This no. is made up, right? That's made okay, up. I just go <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
<laughs> so, so, but Biden, uh, wants that to happen. So do the, the greenies. So, right. but if they can break the small banks, they can control them to do that. And that's, those are the stakes we're dealing with. This is the Dick Morris Show on 77 WABC. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck. President Trump says he's going to end the Ukraine war in one day. 24 hours. And what he means is that when he becomes president, he's going to call and tell Ukraine and tell Russia, where you stand now is the territory you're going to have. That's the permanent peace settlement. Uh, if you, uh, if whatever the Russian troops are standing on, they can keep. Whatever the Ukraine troops are standing on, they can keep. And right now that would be 18% to Russia, 82% to Ukraine. And some people say, oh, that's unfair because Russia invaded. But right. Trump is going to say, who gives a damn? We have to stop this from becoming World War III. Right. And then people say, well, how can you make your word stick? Trump said, that part's easy. <laughs> I go to Ukraine, I say, you're not getting another effing bullet from me unless there's a standstill ceasefire. And you go to the Russians and you say, we will absolutely kill you with military <laughs> supplies. You think you've got problems now? That we'll have Abrams tanks around every corner. <laughs> we'll get total air superiority. Uh, we'll use it. Um, we'll absolutely devastate you. We won't have to put in a single soldier, but we'll completely wipe you guys out. Now, well, don't you both consider it reasonable that we settle for the, settle the way they say okay, so yes. you're standing okay. where you are? And that's what Trump is saying. He's not going to say it because everybody will go crazy, but that He'll, is what he has in mind. That's right. Now, the House passed a landmark bill the other day. It's not going anywhere, but it's very important because of its political impact. It was called the Parental Bill of Rights. And the essence of it is that parents have the right to know what their children are being taught. If they're being taught uh, about gender change surgery in the fourth grade, they have a right to know. If they're being taught critical race theory, they have a right to know that. And they have a right to be told what books are in the school library, what books are being assigned to read, what teachers are saying in the classroom. And they have a right to stop them from proselytizing gender change, alternate lifestyles, and uh, critical race theory. And But it all basically is about parents knowing what's going on in school. Does your mama know that you're out? Yeah, not for nothing. <laughs> now, uh, your mama will get a uh, all points bulletin from the House of House rep- representatives if you're given critical race theory or gender change stuff. Oh God, the whole idea of that. Make no mistake about it. The average member of the gay community in the United States is happily content with, to change their own lifestyle and live their own life as they choose. Right. And they are happily content to raise their children in a gay household, and we're all content with that. 
but there is a small faction of the community that wants to make the whole world over in their image. That feels uncomfortable being a small minority of the country, and they want everyone to change their gender uh, to suit what they want. Mm-hmm. And um, they're working on proselytizing uh, young kids to do that. Uh, why did you change from being a boy to a girl? Because it's cool. You're right. Because everybody respects me. Everyone's, we talk about everyone's it. doing it. We talk about it in schoolyard. Everyone's doing it. And the uh, and on television they glorify it, and uh, the but the whole thing is being done without parents even knowing about it. Now, in many many cases, they know about it, but they are sympathetic to it because they themselves have been brainwashed, or they themselves may be gay. Uh, they uh, or want just to, want to be friends with their kids and their yeah. teachers. Well, they wanted a boy, and they got a girl, and. Now they're going to correct it. Oh, my God. And uh, that's all okay if the parents consent. But if the parents don't know about it, uh, that's horrible. And particularly given the risks that it involves, uh, a lifetime of sterility uh, for a girl who gets that surgery. One and out wh- of four of those operations result in the inability to have children. And who knows at 10, 15 years old when you, what, what you want to do. Bill Maher said it great. He goes, I wanted to be a pirate when I was a kid. Thank God they didn't take my eye out and cut my leg off. <laughs> <laughs> Some would say that he realized his goal. <laughs> Seriously, it's just this wrong. Let's go to Frank in Staten Island. Hey, Frank. Hey, Frank. Hi, Frank. How are you doing? Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Great. Yeah, I was. I was. Uh, I called up about maybe talking about like other alternative candidates for for the Democrat. Um, yeah. Well, of course, the, you know you have the president and that terrible Kamala Harris. But then you hear about uh, the, the other usual suspects like Newsom, Elizabeth Warren, again Pete Buttigieg. I okay. Now I, I'm actually Democrat, but but I'm sick of my party. I, I've been voting Republican in the last few elections. I like capitalism. Um, you know, I also yeah. love free speech. I'm sick of my party, but I, I really like Joe Manchin mm-hmm. as, a, as the president of the United States. I think even Republicans would love it. Well, Manchin uh, has a very tough reelection fight uh, this year in 24. And uh, as running as a Democrat, I don't think he can win it. Uh, now, he's a very committed Democrat. He was a Democratic governor and really believes in that stuff. And uh, I think he may not switch and may just lose. But there is a chance that he switches and runs as an independent like his buddy Cinema is doing in Arizona. And we have to see. But in terms of presidential race, you're dreaming. The Democrats would love to get rid of Joe Biden, but they can't. Uh, because if they get rid of Biden, first of all, they lose all of the patronage of the federal government. Mm. They don't get contracts. They don't get jobs. They don't get money. But they can't agree on an alternative. It's opening the party up to a gigantic civil war between the progressives on the one hand and the establishment and the blacks on the other. It'll splinter them. Completely split the party. And they're terrified of that. Mm -hmm. So the odds are that they're going to force the Democratic Party to accept Joe Biden and he'll lose by a lot, which isn't so bad, you know. Um, Go to Terry and Clifton. Hi, Terry. Hi. 
Hi. Tony, you know, Tony. Exactly. I'm sorry, Tony. Hi, guys. Me. How are you doing today? <laughs> so your last caller actually was where I'm going. I was looking at this past week in terms of um, the Alvin Bragg fiasco and the attack on President Trump and also looking at the woke hearings, which I listened to. And I think they're all eye-openers for a lot of people who are searching for what is the answer to this mess that we've been in with the woke agenda. And they're seeing that their world isn't so secure anymore with this president, you know, that you could wind up in your own court case. You could wind up with your children, you know, on TikTok. Your government hasn't protected them. And I think we're connecting the dots. And if, you know, you ever played Monopoly as a child, some still do, we're playing the game of woke now. And I think we're all getting better at what they do. And our eyes are being opened that they're threatening our world. I think that's really true. And the issues are very good, Tony. The issues are no longer esoteric. Uh, are you a boy or a girl, a man or a woman? Uh, do you have, uh, do you have rights as parents to oversee the development of your children? These issues are very common, they're very commonplace, and they, people readily understand them. And they're very, very actionable political issues. Let's go to Ed on Long Island. Hi, Ed. Hi, Dick. I got to tell you, you have, uh, as Joe Piscopo would say, a nice measured voice. You're very easy to listen to. Oh, <laughs> you really are. Okay. Uh, as it relates, I saw the rally in Waco, Texas. I think it was RSBN Network. And you can, you can read, everybody can watch it again over and over. They rebroadcast it. Good. And I, I said to myself, Joe Biden seems like he's reading off a teleprompter, like he's a, he's a, he's a robot. Donald Trump is up there. And I always look at the teleprompters. I never see him look at one. Is he just going off a couple uh, PowerPoint notes yeah. on his uh, legal pad? Well, no, yeah. he's got it written down, but well, he, he has, goes off and he has his own thing. Yeah. But, but it's it's just bullet points. Right. Uh, he knows what he's going to say about immigration. And Trump kind of uses these speeches as a focus group. He, John McLaughlin said this the other day. He uses, he trots, shuts out lines, sees how the crowd responds to it, and then if they like it, that becomes a permanent part of his repertoire. And uh, it's Plus kind he, of how he writes the speech. And he feeds off that audience. You notice that he turns around and he looks yep. at people and he points. He's feeding off that whole thing, like a musician at a, at a concert. I once spoke with President Clinton, and uh, there was an idea we were kicking around trying to understand how to deal with it. He said, I'm going to go to Georgetown University and have a conversation with the students. I want you to watch the speech. So I did. I said, what do you mean conversation? You're going to be doing all the talking. And it was a conversation. And the applause, the the uh, questions, uh, it was really a conversation. It with the energy. Take. Yeah. And you could tell what the people were thinking. And it was it's, it's how Clinton formulated his view of public opinion. And uh, and I think it's basically what Trump does as well. And Trump uses his emotion and his heart when he talks. Yep. He, when he feels the the audience is happy or cheer, you could see it. And then he goes somewhere else. This guy is a, he's emotional too. With his uh... when I talk to him and I say, for God's sakes, don't 
you know, don't call for riots in the streets. What do you mean? <laughs> don't feed the January 6th thing. Uh, he, he often just, I mean, he says, I don't care. I'm mad at this. And right. It's my own, my feelings. Tough guy, and, New Yorker guy. Yeah. And, and, but he's, he is so real. Uh, let's go to George in Rockland. Hi, George. Uh, hi, uh, Dick. Thanks for taking my call. So I have a question here. Uh, now, the situation with uh, uh, President uh, Trump uh, is a very unique one because he's an ex-president here. Okay, Now, everything that you said sounds very reasonable regarding the, the no chance to get a fair uh, a, a fair, a fair hearing uh, in New York. Uh, yep. uh, you know, it, even going to a judge, okay? Yep. So based on all this, now I know it's a long shot here, okay? Can his attorneys take it directly to the Supreme Court and let the Supreme Court of the U.S. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, you know, tell you know, tell New York State you no. have to no. take it out of New, of New York County. No, you can't. Uh, what you can do is ask the New York judge to recuse himself or to move it outside of the county. And um, most judges are going to be afraid to do that. They want to go to the party. Eventually, know. if you lose the case, you can appeal. And one of your grounds in federal court could be that you couldn't get a fair trial in New York. Mm-hmm. In the old days when there was a racist Southern verdict, uh, the civil rights lawyers would go to the U.S. Supreme Court and say, I couldn't get a fair trial in Jackson, Mississippi on mm-hmm. these charges. And they would often win. But um, that Trump's not going to be able to do that. But on the other hand, the federal court judges are going to not realize what baloney these charges are, and they're not going to uh, they're not going to let them stand. They'll throw them out. Thanks for calling. Let's go to Joe in New Jersey. Hi, Joe. I think you're over. How you doing, Dick? Thanks for taking my call. I'm going to be quick. I want to say it, and then you can answer. Got 30 it. Biggest seconds. problem with. All right. The biggest problem is universal mail-in voting. Has yeah. it been stopped? No. The and way to so- stop it, the way to stop it, is to require that everybody put the last four digits of their social security number on the mail-in ballot, because you can check that. You can make sure it's a real person. Very simple step, and would solve the potential for fraud. Thank you. Your brilliance. Thank you. This was fun. This is the Dick Morris Show on seventy-seven WABC.